Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Conversations on issues impacting Californians of all ages. Here's your host, Theon Gordon. Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Join us as we dive into issues and policies that impact Californians of all ages, particularly older adults, and learn how you can connect with AARP to make our state more livable for all. I am an AARP volunteer and your host, Dr. Theon Gordon. Today, we are with Jason Tudor, Community Development Advisor with AARP, to talk about the importance of disaster resilience and how communities can prepare. Jason brings a wealth of knowledge to today's conversation, having worked with communities across the United States to build resilience and recover after major disasters. Jason, welcome to the show. It's wonderful to have you join us today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We're so happy to have you. Let's dive in as we usually do. Can you share a little more about your experience and your work? Sure. So as you mentioned before, I am a community development advisor with AARP and I work for the national office. So I have the privilege to work with all 53 of our state offices. The office that I work for at AARP is the Office of Community Engagement, which is responsible for supporting our state office's local level engagement. And what basically that means is, how does AARP become a local level partner? And so when we think of disaster resilience, disasters happen at the local level. So our community engagement office leads the disaster resilience work, which includes the preparation for emergency preparedness, the response if a disaster impacts a community, and the recovery after the disaster. Okay. Wow. That sounds like a lot of work. And normally when we think about disasters, we think of organizations like FEMA, which would be more national. So your work is more around the local perspective. Well, we have a national, state, and local perspective in our disaster resilience work. So although the disasters happen at a local level, it's often the state or the national agencies that are responsible for preparing and responding to the disasters that impact the communities. So what AARP has done is partnered with FEMA, and through this national partnership, we've created a disaster resilience toolkit, which is what I would love to share with you today what the toolkit entails, how the state offices use the toolkit, and how your listeners can be engaged in disaster resilience in their own community and neighborhood level. Okay, well, that sounds great. And before we talk about this toolkit and how to use the toolkit, let's understand in clear terms the difference between emergencies, disasters, and natural hazards. That's a great question. And we should also probably point out why AARP is involved in this topic anyway. So we'll start with that. Why is this an interest to AARP? So disasters and emergencies disproportionately affect older adults in the United States and across the world. And a few examples of that is, let's look at Hurricane Katrina. Over 75% of those that died in Hurricane Katrina were over the age of 60 or 65. If you look at the Paradise Fire that happened in California a few years ago, over 80% of those that perished in the fire were over 70 years old. The reasons for that we can dive into a little bit deeper in today's episode, 
But that's one of the reasons why AARP believes that disaster resilience is such an important part of our overall livable communities work that our state offices are doing. It's because older adults, whether they live in an institutional setting or they live at home, are disproportionately impacted by disasters. So when we think about disasters or emergencies, going to the first part of your question, hazards, disasters, emergencies, they can come in all different types, shapes, and forms. So we're not just talking about natural disasters, which are things like wildfires, earthquakes, and tornadoes. Disasters can come in the form of a pandemic, like we've unfortunately experienced for the last two years, which also disproportionately impacted older adults. Disasters can also come in the form of water crises, like we're seeing in Jackson, Mississippi, an entire community without fresh drinking water and water pressure so they couldn't even bathe or cook. Or you can even see a disaster in an emergency, such as a chemical spill in a community where a person might have to evacuate unexpectedly because a tanker overturned on the interstate and hazardous chemicals were released and the neighborhood has to evacuate. So when we think about emergencies and disasters, they do kind of blend in together. Emergencies and disasters, we're saying they sort of blend together. So we include natural disasters in all that as well. For example, in California, we have the wildfires that happened, the floods that happened in Santa Barbara area. Those would be considered all disasters and emergencies. That's right. So the disaster could have an emergency situation, but the disaster can be the emergency part of the disaster ending, but the disaster phase or the disaster cycle continues. So there's four phases when we talk about disasters. And that begins with preparedness, then response, recovery, and then what we call mitigation. And that's what falls really under the hazard piece, which is how do we prevent or mitigate the hazards in our community? And those could involve things like flood structures or hardening our electrical grid so it's less vulnerable to wildfires or to earthquakes or to high winds. So in the four phases of cycles, the emergency situation is that immediate disaster situation. But then you also have the response and then the recovery phase of a disaster as well. Okay, this is great information for us. And one of the things that you've emphasized a couple of times is these hazards, disasters, the pandemics, all of these things impact the older community disproportionately more. And it's interesting, the U.S. Census Bureau projects that by 2034, people age 65 or older will outnumber those under 18 for the first time in the nation's history. That trend has profound implications when we talk about emergency management, especially with the natural disasters and extreme weather events that are becoming more and more common and severe every day. What can we do in terms of this last part of the phases, the mitigation, how do we prepare? How do we respond? How do we mitigate from those areas that you talked about, the four phases? That's a great question, because I think at first you have to think about, well, what does it mean when we say that we're having a large increase in older adult population, that the over 65 population is going to hit 23% to 25% of our entire nation's population? What does that mean? Well, older adults have unique circumstances when it comes to disasters. Older adults might have more mobility challenges than those that are of a younger demographic. 
older adults might be more isolated. They might not have as many family members that are still alive or surviving. They might live in communities where their children have moved away, and so they don't have the social connectivity. Older adults in general in the United States are less connected through the internet, so they might not have the same amount of access to information as other people in other age demographics. And then finally, older adults also have a lot of comorbidities. So that might mean they might have diabetes, they might have medications that require refrigeration, they might have oxygen. So when we think about older adults and disasters, all of those things are aspects of an older adult demographic that has to go into disaster resilience planning and into hazard mitigation planning. So in the disaster resilience toolkit that was developed with FEMA and the hazard mitigation guides that FEMA also has developed, there are specific tactics and strategies that have been identified that will help older adults be more disaster resilient. And those are some of the strategies and tactics we can talk about today. This is great because now we get to that idea of that toolkit that you talked about. Tell us about what is the disaster toolkit and how might we use it? So the Disaster Resilience Toolkit, which is available online through aarp.org backslash livable, is a toolkit that was developed in partnership with FEMA. And this was a first of its kind for AARP and FEMA which is a step-by-step guide for community advocates, whether you are an emergency operations planner or you're a resident at home and you're worried about how disasters might impact your own neighborhood or community, this toolkit is for you. And what the toolkit identifies are five strategies for increasing disaster resilience for older adults. And those five strategies are increasing connections, identifying and reaching the older adult community, making sure that diversity is included when we're thinking about disaster resilience planning, thinking about how the response and relocation of older adults during and before a disaster impacts that individual, and how to harden infrastructure so that our infrastructure is more disaster resilient moving forward. So under those five strategies, The toolkit walks the reader through each one of those strategies and provides tactics that they can advocate for or partner with local partners to help bring their community to become more disaster resilient. Okay, so there's five steps that are outlined in the toolkit. Let's kind of go through what that looks like. The first one you talked about was connection. What does that look like and how would we use that tool? So as I mentioned before, older adults sometimes are more isolated than their other younger demographic counterparts because of varying factors. Sometimes they outlive their cohorts. Sometimes their children have moved away. So what does that mean when you don't have a strong network of people that you're either family or friends with in the community you live? I'll give you an example. You're living in the home that you've lived in for 45 years. Your children have moved to another state. Your siblings passed away or they don't live near you. And a tree falls on your house during a wind event. Who do you call? What do you do? How do you know who to trust to come help get that tree removed, to get through your roof repaired? If you have family and friends that live in the neighborhood around you, you often have a network that can connect you to the resources you need to help repair your home and get you back to where you need to be. 
but a lot of older adults have lost that network and that connection. So one of the tactics that's under the connections part of the strategies for disaster resilience is identifying older adults and making sure that those that don't have the family support or the friend support that live near them in the community have the resources that they need. So connecting them to a local council on aging, connecting them to a Red Cross and a nonprofit so that they're prioritized by the response organizations to make sure that they're not sitting in a home with a tree on their roof for weeks to months at a time because they haven't been able to work through the system to get the damage mitigated or to get the damage repaired. That is so important. And of course, connecting them through AARP. We have so many resources that they can be connected with. Now, the next phase I think you talked about was reaching people. And tell me a little more about that phase. So that ties directly into the connections phase, which is how do we identify those that need additional support or assistance? How do we know that there is somebody in our community that's on life-saving oxygen? So if we have a power outage, like we were afraid that California was going to have during our heat wave this past week, that we know that we can get to them and make sure that they're getting life-saving electricity to make sure that their oxygen is continuing. So some of our states have created registries to identify those adults or children that are most vulnerable in our communities so that when a disaster is coming or impacted, we can immediately identify them to make sure that they're going into a cooling shelter or that they have a portable generator accessible to them in case they lose power. So registries is one of the key components of the identification piece. Then the reach piece is understanding that older adults communicate differently than some of our other age demographics. Many of our older adults are not internet connected, so making sure that we still use radio and television to communicate important and vital messages, making sure that we use landline telephones to communicate messages. That's actually one of the things that AARP is able to do through our hub dialer program is to make phone calls out to our members in community and checking on them and making sure that they're okay. So identifying them through registries is a way to identify the older adults and then reaching them through the communication channels that they use most frequently, whether it be through the internet on a website or a landline telephone call, making sure that we're using all communication channels to communicate messages during an emergency. That is so important. There are so many people who still don't have access in terms of internet, whether it's because they're in a disadvantaged community or because they're in the older population and choose not to use it. And so I love the idea that there are these registries out here. And I would imagine getting involved in community groups would help to keep that connection and being able to reach older people in case of emergencies. I would imagine community support is going to be very important. And when we talk about community, I guess that goes into the third phase, that idea of diversity planning. Tell us a little bit about the diversity planning. Diversity and equity, crucial part to disaster resilience knowing that our communities are diverse and the way people communicate and think and learn and teach with one another is different based on cultural, ethnic, religious, 
language barriers. So when we think about diversity and equity in the older adult population, it's just like thinking about any population, making sure that we're communicating in messages that are in language. We know that a lot of communities don't trust things that come in the mail. So how do we make sure that we have in-person events that allow people to get the information that they need when FEMA is saying that they're eligible for disaster recovery assistance? So understanding the unique diversity of a community and making sure that we tailor not only the communication, but the tactical response after a disaster to those unique cultural differences of a community are really important to the overall disaster resilience of a neighborhood, of a town, of a state. Yeah, and you've just touched on that fourth area as well, that having those diverse ways of communicating and assuring that we plan with diversity and inclusion in mind That's how we respond. And response and relocation was your fourth phase. Talk a little bit about how do we get through that? So the response and relocation, let's think about disaster evacuation, which our Gulf Coast states are very familiar with, but a lot of our communities and towns in California are unfortunately familiar with as well when wildfires are approaching and how do we evacuate. Evacuation is one of the toughest situations for an older adult for several reasons. And I'm just focusing on one aspect of response and relocation. We'll talk a little bit more about the other aspects of response and relocation. But just thinking about an older adult who might be on oxygen, have medication and a pet, their only companion, and wondering where they're going to go in order to maintain that oxygen have access to the pharmacy that they're familiar with and the pet that they have with them. One of the greatest fears that we've seen in surveys is that older adults are afraid to leave their homes because if they leave their homes, they're not gonna have a place that will accept them with their animal. So making sure that we have shelters that are pet friendly, making sure that we have shelters that are older adult friendly. So perhaps you are a caregiver for someone that has dementia. Do you know that if you go to a shelter that they're going to be prepared to help you to have a space that's separate from maybe where the children are going to be? Because we know that adults with memory loss or dementia might need a more quiet space that's separated from the general population to prevent confusion. These are all things that have to go into disaster resilience planning. And if we can communicate to the older adult population that when you evacuate, you're going to be going to a location that's going to have everything that you need, including access to medication, making sure that any life-saving devices such as an oxygen machine are going to be able to be plugged in and that your pets are welcomed, can encourage them to evacuate in the case of an emergency. This information really is important. And It's almost like when you're planning for estate planning or something like that, these are the things that are difficult to take a look at because it sometimes makes people afraid that the fear of a disaster happening. But that planning and preparedness is so important, especially with the extreme heat we've had and the wildfires that break out and disasters that have been coming up. What part do we play In the final phase, that idea of heartening the infrastructure, is there anything that people as individuals or communities can do in that final phase or what do we do? That's a great question. And I want to also make a point here, which is when we think about older adults, 
one of the reasons we created the toolkit is that there is a gap between what we currently have in disaster resilience planning and those who service older adults and the communication gap in between them. Oftentimes, emergency planners think of older adults as those that are living in an institutional setting, which means a nursing home or assisted living. Only 5% of our older adult population lives in those settings. The vast majority of older adults live in their own homes and neighborhoods where they've lived for many, many years. So when we think about addressing the needs of the older adult populations, it's very important that we know that our nursing homes and assisted living facilities and retirement communities are hardened. And I'll talk a little bit about what that means and have the resources that they need to be prepared for disaster. But it's also talking about how do we reach the older adults in the neighborhoods that they've lived in for 40, 50 years. Mm. So when we think about hardening infrastructure, hardening infrastructure is a really broad term that can encompass many different aspects. But one aspect could be making sure that we've buried our utility lines so that in a hurricane prone zone, the wind doesn't matter. It won't blow down our electrical grid that after a storm that the lines are buried, which is very costly and expensive. And there's a lot of debate in that. And I'm not getting into that. I'm just saying that that is an example. We got into that in another episode. <laughs> that is costly and expensive. <laughs> it's costly and expensive, but it's an example of hardening the infrastructure. And what we're having the debate for in Louisiana, for example, they've had six to seven hurricanes since Hurricane Katrina that they've damaged the power lines each time and cause cities to be without power for weeks on end. At what point do you say we've now spent X amount of money over the last seven years to constantly repair the lines versus actually investing in and burying the lines? The Disaster Resilience Toolkit is about educating the consumer so that they can be involved in that conversation. And I think that's where one of the gaps that I talked about earlier is that we often feel that disasters is an expert topic and we don't feel that we have the tools and resources to be a part of that conversation. And what AARP is trying to do with this Disaster Resilient Toolkit is to make sure that anybody can be a part of this conversation, because if you're not, you're going to be left out. And that's one of the challenges that we have with emergency planning right now, is that we don't have enough of our resident voice in the planning conversation. So if we can engage more of the residents, engage more of the population, including the older adults, you're gonna have more of a community buy-in to some of the difficult decisions that many of our communities are having to make, whether it's our coastal communities having to face rising sea levels, whether it's our Western communities having to face the drought and the wildfires. There's difficult conversations that they're all having right now. And it's important that people feel that they have the resources and the information they need to be informed in those conversations. Well, this is perfect, Jason, because you've made it very clear that not only should we be involved in this conversation, but we actually can be involved in the conversation. It's not as difficult as it seemed, and you've made it very clear in the different phases. I think this toolkit also helps because it allows us to have the resilience that we need in terms of a disaster. So where can we find the toolkit again? Let's just go back and make sure our listeners know where to take a look for that toolkit so that they can get more involved. 
Absolutely. So if you go to aarp.org backslash livable, there are a list of multiple toolkits and the disaster resilience toolkit is available. Or if you just Google AARP disaster resilience, it's the first thing that comes up in a Google search. The other guidebook that FEMA created, which is the hazard mitigation guidebook connection to older adults, you put that in a Google search, it's the first thing that comes up as well. And oftentimes I feel like that's an easier way to find some of these resources than trying to go in and put in a long URL. So it's aarp.org backslash livable, and then you have all the lists of the toolkits, or you can just Google AARP disaster resilience toolkit. Perfect. Perfect. Now, Jason, the toolkit also mentions a key to ensuring that older adults are properly served by disaster preparedness and emergency planning is to acknowledge and address the gaps that exist between local emergency management teams and the organizations and municipal offices that work with and on behalf of older community members. What specific actions do you recommend communities take to ensure older adults are included in this preparedness process? That's a great question. And that goes back to the challenge that I mentioned earlier with the gap with how current emergency planning views the older adult population, which is they think of older adults in an institutionalized setting. So making sure that they're focusing their resources on nursing homes and making sure they focus their resources on assisted living, that is very important. But again, that's only about 5% of the older adult population. The vast majority live in the own neighborhoods that they've lived in for 40 to 50 years. So one of the things that we are encouraging is more community meetings in neighborhood, more community-wide meetings using some of the tactics that we put in under the connection strategy and the identify and reach strategy, connecting to older adults where they live. And that's where AARP can really become a partner with this. AARP state offices can host or convene these community conversations. They can reach out through our member list. They can reach out through our hub dialer, which we're calling individuals directly. We can even have statewide or local teletown halls where we call into a resident's home. They choose to join the teletown hall and the disaster emergency operations center or local disaster management office can speak directly to the older adult where they live in their own home. So one of the things that we're really trying to encourage at AARP is to be that voice for older adults and to be that connection between emergency operations centers, disaster planners, and the older adult residents. Okay, well, that's great. And it would be wonderful if we have these different hubs set up in communities. But how can I, as an everyday community member, prepare myself and help meet the needs of those who are most vulnerable to natural disasters and extreme weather events. What can I do to help? So a disaster is the most personal thing that you can ever experience. Disaster happens to a community, but it happens on the personal level. So an earthquake in a town is going to impact one person one way and another person another. It doesn't impact people the same. So one of the things that we are encouraging everyone to do to be more disaster resilient is to start at the neighborhood level. The most important thing that you can do is know who your neighbor is. Know that individual that might be home alone, that doesn't have family, and make sure that they're connected. Neighborhood associations, neighborhood meetings, 
talking with your neighbors and just knowing who each other are. That's where disaster resilience begins. The agencies that respond and prepare to disasters oftentimes can't come back into community until weeks after the disaster has impacted that community. And sometimes disaster assistance takes months, even years, for the residents to be able to get back to where they were before the disaster happened. So it really is up to us as residents in our own neighborhood to know who our neighbors are and to be willing to help each other out in the time of disaster. So for example, if there is a power outage during a heat wave, Knowing that that older adult that lives down the street is being taken care of, knocking on that person's door, asking them that if they need a ride to a cooling shelter, making sure that they might have access to ice and water to stay hydrated and cool. These are things that we should be taking at an individual level to not only prepare and help ourselves, but to help the older adults that might be living in our neighborhood. That's so important. And I love it because it brings that sense of community and that we are together. We're human beings working together to be better in everything that we do. So I guess I would venture to say if somebody was impacted by a natural disaster or extreme heat or any of those things, the first support could be local support. Is there any other support that they should look for? Where should they seek support? Well, and that as an individual level, there's a lot that you can do to be better prepared for an emergency. So AARP, if you go to our Disaster Resilience Toolkit, we have links for an emergency preparedness kit. So things like how to develop a go bag. It's ready.gov, which is the FEMA website for being emergency prepared. But if you go to the redcross.org, they also have Be Red Cross Ready. And Be Red Cross Ready is a program that teaches you for everything that you can imagine, how to be prepared for an earthquake, how to be prepared for a wildfire, how to be prepared for a power outage. These are all steps that we can take on an individual level to be better prepared. So helping our neighbors during a disaster, making sure they're prepared, the most vulnerable in our neighborhood, but also starting with yourself and your own family, having a go bag, making sure that you're following the preparedness kit to develop the list of things that you need. One example is if you're on medication, you can have a 30-day extra supply ordered for you that you always have on hand. We always tell people that don't have just the amount of medication you need for that month. Have an extra 30-day supply so that in case you evacuate and you're in a location that doesn't have the pharmacy that you're used to, you have enough medication to bridge that gap until you can get that prescription refilled. So there's a lot of things that we need to do at a personal level to be more resilient and be prepared. But again, when it comes to older adults, I think it's so important that we start at the neighborhood level and we know who our older adult neighbors are and we're making sure that they are prepared as best as they can be as well. Jason, this has been so informative. I really appreciate you sharing this information and you made it so simple you made it in clear terms. So thank you for joining us on episode eight of In Clear Terms with AARP California. Do you have any last comments before we wrap it up? I just want to thank you so much for allowing me to come and share this resource with you, the Disaster Resilience Toolkit. If you go to states.aarp.org and you can go to AARP California, there's a lot of information on the AARP California state page. 
that has information. And California is leading our AARP state offices when it comes to the disaster resilience work. So we are so thankful for the work that AARP California is doing and helping us learn what disaster resilience means at the local level. So thank you, AARP California. Thank you, Jason. Again, we have had the pleasure of speaking with Jason Tudor, Community Development Advisor with AARP, talking about the importance of disaster resilience, particularly how it impacts older adults and how communities can prepare. In future episodes, we look forward to hosting experts and elected officials who can shed light on critical issues in our state, how AARP is working to ensure the voice of those ages 50 plus is heard, and how you, our listeners, can learn more and act on these important decisions. Thank you for listening to In Clear Terms. Mm-hmm.